Well, we want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace Community Church as well. Excited to be here together. Welcome to everyone who is watching online as well as those who are in the venue. Glad to be together here today. We've been in a series entitled Dynamic Duos where we look at two biblical heroes uh, from Scripture and then presented by two of our, our teaching team members. And so my name is Joel Boone, and I'm here with my very good friend. Rich Sasser, Men's Ministry, and I cannot go any further without finding how many of my guys are in the house. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Hallelujah! Isn't that fun? The thing I like most about that is all the women go, oh, what is that? Thank you, ladies. Anyway, man, we've had some great duos before us, and I, I absolutely think that uh, we have some great big shoes to fill, which probably is why he picked Joel and I for the end here. But literally, I think what we really need to do is pray. Would you bow with us as we pray and start this off? Father God, we do just uh, bow before you. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would be in this place, Lord, that you would use your spirit to move here and that you would uh, literally speak through Joel and I. We humble ourselves before you, Lord, because we know our words aren't important, but your words mean everything. And so, God, we just uh, trust uh, our words to you this morning. And Father, we do pray that you would move in this place, that you wouldn't leave a, a soul here unchanged. God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to uh, serve. We thank you for the privilege of being able to worship together and we just offer this morning up to you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Well, it's absolutely our desire to finish this series well. We want to exalt Christ. We want to honor uh, the Father and give glory to him. And as we looked at, begin uh, to look at Elijah and Elisha, which is the biblical duo we're going to look at today, we found that this theme of finishing well is really saturated in the biblical context. And all throughout scripture, we see that it's God's heart, it's his intention and its will, it's his action to really come alongside people, help them start, continue, and finish well. Yeah, and so when we did this, as Joel and I were talking about how do we do this, we thought, let's do something different. Let's just stand up here and talk to each other and share what we see in the scripture. But to do this, we had to go all the way back, and literally we started at the beginning of the Bible, to learn and understand this story. And kind of the place we landed was actually in, uh, was actually in the beginning of Solomon's reign. So David, King David, is at a place to where he is trying to finish well. And he, uh, there's this scripture that he uses that just lays this groundwork for Solomon that's amazing. And if you guys want to read along with us, the scriptures will be on the screen. But uh, this one is in the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 2, and uh, verses 1 through 4. David says this, he says, when David's time to die was drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. I always like it when a dad starts like that with his son. Basically, in today's terms, it's just grow up, Junior. It's time. It says, show yourself a man. Verse three, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and testimonies as, was, as it was written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. In verse four, that the Lord may establish his word that I spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, 
to walk before me in faithfulness with all their hearts and with all their soul. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So King David got to this time where he just wanted to finish well. He imparts this stuff to his son. He lays this out and says, this is what you need to do to have success, to be blessed. So what did you see in there that just jumped out at you? Yeah, the first phrase that sticks out to me is found in verse 3. It says, keep the charge of the Lord your God. And, and it begs the question, what is the charge of the Lord your God? And I think we can, we, we can be helped as we looked in Scripture in many places. But one instance is where Moses is challenging the people of Israel to basically keep the charge of the Lord your God. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He says, hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so as we look at the nation of Israel and God's desire to redeem a whole people group, a nation for his glory, the thing that's at the top of the list, the top priority is worship the Lord. It's love the Lord your God above all else. And so as King David is now challenging and commissioning his son Solomon, the thing that was at the top of his list is the same. It's worship the Lord or keep God the first priority or keep the charge of the Lord. So keeping the charge of the Lord obviously was the heart that God had, but then he gave some really practical instructions. A little later on in verse three, it says this, he wants you to walk in his ways Keep his statutes and his commandments and rules and testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. So what he's doing is he's saying, listen, I have given you my word. I have given you this, this uh, way of life. And this literally starts back with Moses. One of the reasons he took the children of Israel into the desert for 40 years was to teach them a new way to live. To literally break them of all their idolatry and all those habits. And then I go basically to, to Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and he starts with uh, the first commandment, and then the second commandment is that you, you worship the Lord your God only. And in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 20, he says this, he says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Verse six, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Listen, it's really important to God that we keep his commandments. And they're not, they're not a set of rules to make our lives difficult. They are literally a way of living a blessed life. And he wants us to live a blessed life. And then he goes on and he says that, that if you'll walk in my ways, if you won't have any false gods, you'll literally prosper, be blessed the rest of your life. And I think that's the next thing that we had, wasn't it? Yeah, we see this pattern, it's this, this progression, or, or if you will, of worshiping the Lord and obeying him and walking in his commandments that it blesses the next generation. It reminds me of the fifth commandment that's in that same passage okay. in Exodus 20. And he says, honor your father and your mother, your mother that your days may be long in the land that your, your God is giving you. And so in this list of the 10 commandments, the fifth one is the first one that has this generational promise attached to it. Honor your father and mother. And it's implied here that the father 
father and mother would be doing the first four commandments, that they would be having no other gods, they would have no idols, they wouldn't take God's name in vain, they would be keeping the Sabbath holy. And so you have this opportunity to honor your godly father and honor your godly mother, and there's this blessing that will happen in the promised land. Well, this is exactly what King David is challenging his son Solomon to do as he's speaking to him, the same kind of generational promise of worshiping the Lord, walking in his ways, and, and that way you would win wherever you go. In 1 Kings, 2, uh, 1 Kings 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, That you may prosper, David saying to Solomon, that you may prosper in all that you do, wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke to me concerning, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all of their heart, with all of their soul, then you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. God wants the nation of Israel to follow him and receive a blessing for doing it. And when we obey Christ, when we follow Christ, there's a blessing that follows. So David saying to his son, worship the Lord, walk in his ways, and you're going to win wherever you go. Yeah, it's a pretty good recipe, I think. I, I think that recipe still works today. I think it, I yeah. think it applies. I think it applies. And so as we, as we see this, uh, as, as King David is speaking to Solomon, I mean, we see this Solomon started off well. He started off in the right place, but as he continued in king, he got distracted. He got distracted from worshiping the Lord. He began to worship idols and false gods. And then it caused him to stop walking in the ways of the Lord. He began to walk in the ways of evil. And then finally, where he had begun, he was winning greatly for the Lord. Now he was losing horribly. And God even speaks to him and says, I'm actually going to divide the kingdom from your son. And this brings us to the picture of what we look at today. It's really a story of redemption about how when God's people walk away from him, God pursues them. He goes after them because he wants to invite them to come on the road to redemption. And we're going to look in three ways that God does it. There there are three lanes, if you will, on this road to redemption. And the first lane on the road to redemption is this. It's what we've been looking at with the nation of Israel. It's lane number one. It's nations. That God works in nations to accomplish his redemption plan. And he's inviting nations to worship the Lord, walk in his ways. And so those nations will win wherever they go. And now all of this happens with Solomon, his son Rehoboam. The the kingdom gets divided. Uh, King after king now and divided Israel and divided Judah. It's overwhelmingly evil. And it gets to the place in 1 Kings 16, verse 30, where it says this about King Ahab. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Man, you know, when when things turn evil, God's not satisfied. He's not happy. And uh, he's interested, like Joel said, in redeeming his nation. And he goes to great lengths to do that. And so now we really enter the story of Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah comes on the scene He's a prophet. We don't really have much information before him, but we're going to spend the rest of our time kind of in in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19. So if you'd like to turn there, you can kind of follow along with us. But here's what happens in uh, the first time we hear of Elijah. 1 Kings 17, 1 through 3. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain These years, except by my word, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, Depart and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth on the east of the Jordan. And so all of a sudden, from Solomon to Ahab, you see the the moral fabric, the culture is just getting worse and worse and worse. And as it gets worse and worse and worse, God's going, Okay, 
I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a chance. And now all of a sudden he's sending somebody to intervene, this guy Elijah. And so he goes and, and basically he says to the king at the time, King Ahab, listen, you're going to pay until God gets your attention. And you go down and you look through there and you realize that after Elijah delivers this message, it stops raining. And as God is using the pain and the suffering to get the nation's attention, he's also doing something in Elijah's life. He takes him to the brook. He says, I'm going to provide water for you while there's drought everywhere else. And he provides water for him. And get this, he's got special delivery. What's that? What's that? You call them now and they bring food to your yeah, it's door? It's like Uber Eats or whatever. Uber Eats, yeah. Jets. Ex- except yeah. this should be called Raven Eats. Yeah. He's literally feeding them with birds. And I always thought about whether or not he was actually eating bird food. I don't know. Huh. I've seen ravens. They bring a lot of weird stuff in. So anyway, but he's building Elijah's faith. And that goes on until I think Elijah gets comfortable with the fact that this is weird, that the birds are feeding him. And so he moves him then farther away, and he moves him to a, a widow woman who's out collecting sticks because she's ready to prepare the last meal for her and her son. And he says, you go ahead and prepare some bread for me, and the, the flour will not run out, the oil will not run out. And for uh, literally some more years now, God's providing for him at even a higher level. So Elijah is getting trained up. His faith is getting built. And kind of to top that off, they get to this really odd place where the widow woman's son dies. And, and Elijah just falls before the Lord and says, you know, basically, how could you do this? How could you allow this to happen? Well, like always, God doesn't just let things happen by accident. He wants to build Elijah's faith, and he wants to have him understand that he's got a big job for him that's going to require a lot of faith. And so literally he prays and prays and falls on this boy, and God resurrects this child. Literally, this prophet has now taken part, and God has used him to resurrect this child. And now he sends him back because he's got another job to do. And this kind of hits the second part of what we're talking about. What's going to happen next? Well, we're calling it the showdown. The showdown where Elijah now confronts Ahab uh, again after these years. And in 1 Kings 18, verses 17 through 21, it says this. When Ahab, the king, saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he, Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals, the false gods. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel was the king Ahab's wife. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So then this, they get together and they take two bowls and they cut these bowls in pieces. There's, there's one for team Elijah and one for team Ahab. And they place these bowls that are cut up on top of stacks of wood, but they don't light the fire. And then Elijah gives the terms of the showdown in verse 
24 in 1 Kings 18, it says, And you call on the name of your God, small g, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. I love a little competition. So, but this is great. He lets team Ahab go first. And you see this story about, I mean, you just got to appreciate a guy that just likes to poke somebody when they're down. This is, this is good. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verse 26, now it says, um, and they took, this is team Ahab, they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. What a surprise, right? It says, and they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah started mocking them. In other words, he was really poking a little fun at them. <laughs> this is what he says. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh in the middle of this, but he says, uh, you guys need to cry a little louder for your God. He says, either he is musing, in other words, he's goofing off, or he's in the bathroom. He's relieving himself. He says, or... Maybe he's on vacation, he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be wakened. I mean, he's just poking the bear. 800, yeah, 850 guys, just poking them. And then all of a sudden he says, man, you should, you should cry louder. And they cried aloud and they started cutting themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as the midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, which is the evening offering. And there was no voice, no answer, and no one paid attention. And so now it's team Elijah's turn. And Elijah calls the people of Israel to come close to him. Elijah repairs the broken down altar of the Lord with 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. It's an incredible illustration of how God is desiring to heal this broken nation and bring them together to honor the Lord. Like we talked about in lane number one with the nations. And Elijah asked them to build a trench around the altar, which has the wood and the bowl on it. And then Elijah asked for four jars with water to be poured on the bowl, overflowing onto the wood. And then Elijah asked them to do a second time, four more jars of water overflowing from the bowl into the wood. And then Elijah asked them to do it a third time, four more jars of water onto the bowl, onto the wood. And the bowl and the wood are drenched and the trench is now full of water. Everything is soaked with water. And we pick it up in the text in verse 36, 1 Kings 18, and says, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things, all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. 
that was pretty decisive. Took care of that problem. <laughs> yeah. And so Boom, the done. true God of Israel, the true God <laughs> is victorious. And so Elijah, he tells King Ahab, hey, you better go prepare your chariot because you see off in the distance a cloud is forming. And God is going to end this drought. And so King Ahab now is, is heading back to town. And God is about to bring rain to Ed, end this nationwide drought. And as King Ahab is in his chariot heading back to town, a miraculous event again now occurs in Elijah's life. In verse 46, it says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and the hand of the Lord representing the Holy Spirit of God, filling and overflowing his life to something of a supernatural expression. And he gathered up his garments. Their garments would have been long and flowing. He gathered up his garments and he ran before Ahab, who was in the chariot, all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Elijah literally outran the chariot all the way back to town. Why? Because this is a victorious moment for God and the celebration is happening. Imagine that outrunning a chariot for like 20 miles. It's a long way. Yeah. It's not just like your little 5K run. You know, I'm talking outrunning horses. It's just pretty cool. But, you know, you got to, you gotta, as you follow the story, I wish it kind of stopped there. That'd be really nice. But, you know, the thing you can tell about God's word is it's really honest. At some point, Elijah gets done with all of this experience, and he goes, Whew, what a day. And then the very next thing you hear is this part of the story. And we're going to call this the letdown. So we go from the showdown to the letdown, and it's found in uh, chapter 19, verses 1 and 3. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, Show me that God's due to me and also more, more also, if you do not make your life as one of those, if, you, if I do not make your life as the life of one of these them by this time tomorrow. And he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And it goes on to say that he got sustained a little bit and then ran for another 40 days, runs all the way down to Mount Sinai. How do you go from being the prophet that slaughtered all these false prophets that had God show up in such a decisive way? How do you get from that place to scared of a woman? A formidable woman. No doubt about it. Jezebel was literally an evil woman, which would cause Ahab to just do the dumb things he did. But literally, I, I just didn't get this. And I started to understand that maybe, maybe Elisha got a little proud in this moment about what he had done, what he had accomplished. Either way, he's running and he's going and, uh, and you know, he's a marked man. He's living in fear. A guy who's in fear does a couple of things. First of all, he runs. The second thing he does is he isolates himself. And the third thing he does is starts feeling sorry for himself. And man, Elijah does all of those things. And uh, so he ends up in a cave. He ends up in a cave down near Mount Sinai. And, uh, and all of a sudden, we see that God's going to address him. Now, we're going to come back to the cave here in just a second, talk about what happened in the cave. But we got to get past the letdown to... 
Well, the third part, we see the showdown, we see how quickly it went to a letdown, and now we're going to talk about the lowdown, where God speaks directly to him in this cave and what he communicates to him about the solution. And so in 1 Kings 19 and verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way. That must have been discouraging. He had just like ran, I don't know, 40 miles or something. Go, return (laughs) on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so there's this incredible showdown moment, this incredible letdown moment, and God's giving him the lowdown. He's giving him the truth. He's speaking to him the truth. All that Elijah does not see or understand, but God knows is in place and God knows he's about to do. And so he gives him the lowdown. It's this four-part solution. And this brings us to the second major theme in God's redemption plan. So as we're on this road to redemption, we have the first lane being the nations that God is working in the nations to accomplish his redemption plan. But the second lane on this road to redemption is lane number two, and it's individuals. That God is working in individuals to accomplish his redemption plan. And so now we, we, we're going to turn here. We're going to see how Elijah and Elisha become this great dynamic duo to serve together. And we got to go back to the cave. Got to go back to the cave because there's some really interesting stuff that happens in the cave. And as you go to the cave... It starts out in verse uh, 9, 19, 9 and 10. It says this, says, There he came to the cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek to take my life and take it away. Do you hear that tone of of isolation, that tone of feeling sorry for himself? And so God then all of a sudden does this really, really amazing thing. He asks him this question, and then he starts to reveal himself to Elijah. And so you have to picture this. He's in the cave, right? He's lodging in the cave, so he's got his bedroll. He's got a little fire going. And so God's going to show him a little bit about what God's like. And so God whips up a little little breeze. Well, that breeze is like a windstorm and a half. I mean, there's trees flying by the face of the cave and stuff. And it must have sounded like a jet engine going on. And I can only imagine he's near the edge of the cave and this windstorm, and he's, he's, he's seeing this thing, and he's backing up a little deeper into the cave. He goes back a little deeper into the cave. And you know what? Just about the time he gets deep enough in the cave, God switches it up on him. Windstorm stops, and what's he do? He just shakes the ground a little bit. Imagine being in the back of the cave now with an earthquake going on. We're from California. We get earthquakes. Do you want to be in the house when there's an earthquake? No, stuff falls on you. And so here he is in the cave. I can imagine the rocks and the dirt coming down, and now he's moving back out towards the front of the cave. And he gets to the front of the cave, and all of a sudden, the, the earthquake stops, and there's this wildfire that comes through the front of the cave. And uh, I can't help but think he's maybe trying to get Elijah's attention. I think so. And, and he's doing that, but here's the thing. 
He, it says this in the word. He says he's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. God's not in any of that. God just causes that. That's easy for him to do. And then the very next thing that happens, as I'm sure Elijah's there, the wildfire's in front of him, the heat driving him back, I think at some point he puts his hands up and goes, okay, I give up, God. I surrender. I I quit. I'm way over my head here. And all of a sudden, the next thing that happens is there's a whisper. In verse 13, it says, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak. He put this cloak and just covered his face with it. And he stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him in a whisper and says, What are you doing here, Elijah? The same question he asked him just a little while ago. And all of a sudden, it's, it's interesting the, that Elijah answers the exact same way. But I think in maybe a different tone, don't you? He says, uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for you, Lord. You're the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And then, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I'm thinking that came out a lot more humble. I'm thinking that came out with him realizing that he was running from a woman and he had the God with all the power in the universe behind him on his side and he misplaced his fears. And it's really interesting as we go through life, sometimes we find ourselves in a cave where God taps us on the shoulder. If you're a guy, sometimes it's a two by four up the side of the head. But either way, it's it's God saying, listen, just humble yourself before me and watch how I take care of you. I think that's it. I think it's Elijah in the cave humbling himself before the God Almighty. And it's from this place of humility that we see that God, you know, he, he, he's totally interested in redeeming. He redeems people who are in the cave. He redeems people who have humbled themselves before him. They calls them into service and into ministry. Jesus said it in this way in Matthew 23, 12. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And here we find that though Elijah had, had ran to hide in this cave, that God is still interested in helping Elijah because he wants Elijah to live out his calling. And so you go from this place of being in the cave to recognizing that there's a calling. God had a calling on Elijah's life and there was work to do. Remember that four-part solution that God gave to Elijah? Yep. Well, it's time for Elijah to get to work. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 and 21, we see this. It says, he, Elijah, departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And then he ran, he rose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. And uh, Papa Sass and I were thinking maybe we would act this part out, but um, Elisha was bald and neither one of us was willing uh, to play the part. And so, uh, but the cloak, what, you know, the, the cloak, what, what does it represent? Well, it, it represents that the anointing of God was on yeah. Elijah, that, that the Holy Spirit of God was, was filling the life of Elijah and, and because God had called him to this supernatural work, to be a servant prophet. And so when Elijah takes this cloak and he wraps it around Elisha, he's communicating to Elisha, God is calling you into ministry. God's wrapping himself around you. He's anointing you. 
And he's calling you. And so now where you had one servant prophet, you now have a team of two servant prophets that now are going to serve together led by the Holy Spirit of God. It's amazing that in Elijah's lowest place in the cave, what he does is he brings another man alongside of him. And it's not just like a a quick fix. Literally, these two, this dynamic duo, if you will, serves each other and serves with each other for best we can tell historically is is 20 to 25 years. So literally this team is going on and preaching throughout Israel, throughout the whole area, doing miracles, doing everything they can do to help God redeem this nation. And the whole time God's redeeming Elijah and he brings a brother alongside of him so they can serve together. And so this dynamic duo takes this calling and I think that's why we're gonna call this the team. Because the team, all of a sudden, is a a pretty amazing thing. And we talked about that four-part solution. We talked about these, these, the weapons that God uses to kind of clean out Israel. And then we get to this place where the dynamic duo is finally going to come to an end. And it's kind of a sad part, but the way it happens is amazing. So we go from the cave... The calling, which was amazing time. I can't help but think that these guys had just a ball working together. And so they're doing life together. And all of a sudden, Elijah gets to this part where he realized the chariots are coming. And I don't know, I don't know, he must have got an email or something from God that says, hey, listen, you got like two weeks left. But as you read through this last part of, of Kings, you realize that it's just, uh, the story is going on, but everybody seems to know that Elijah's going home. And all of a sudden you get down to uh, 2 Kings now. We're in chapter 2, verse 9. And he says, uh, when they crossed, they crossed the Jordan River. Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. A double portion of your spirit on me. And then down farther in verse 11, it says, And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. So there's some things that Elijah knows right off the bat. He knows that this is that's really significant that God brought Elisha alongside of him. He doesn't get to finish well without Elisha. And I, I think about that, how, how when, a, when an older guy and a younger guy are put together, what kind of interaction they have. And I would have liked to have said, well, Elijah went in here strong and mentored the young guy, but that's not really what happened. Literally, Elijah got to encourage and kind of train up Elisha, but Elisha literally became the life energy that Elijah needed to finish well. It's just this team concept that I don't know that we really explore as much as we should. So Elijah knows that. He knows he's going to go to glory. Elisha makes one request, and it's simple and straightforward, that he would have twice as much of the Spirit. I have a tendency to think it's because he knows, Elisha knows, that half the workforce is going away, and he's going to need twice as much Spirit to continue the work that God's doing in him. But it's still this amazing thing that happens. And, uh, and the awesome request that God gave them more, gave me more of you and your spirit leading and controlling his life. Hmm. That was just 
good. And it brings us to this third major idea in God's redemption plan. As a reminder, we're on this road to redemption, and there's these different lanes. And the first lane is nations. God's working in nations to accomplish his redemption plan. The second lane is individuals. God's working in individuals to accomplish his redemption plan. And this third lane, we're calling it teams, or you could call it groups or communities or, or people who are coming together because God works in teams to accomplish his redemption plan. Yeah. So here's the truth, guys. Elisha has the Holy Spirit in him. Elisha gives that same Holy Spirit to Elijah. Elijah gives that whole Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit to Elijah. But literally, that is the absolute same Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ gives to us if we believe on him for our salvation today. And, and you, can't, you can't listen to this story and hear this stuff without understanding that there's probably a reason for that. Matter of fact, in Acts 1-8, Jesus says before his ascension, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. The parallels just go on and on. The culture from David to Ahab went from a really high place to a really low place. Does that sound like any place you're living in today? Maybe. You know, we had a culture that our forefathers had based on God's word, and that's not the culture we live in today. And literally, all of a sudden, whether you're in the cave or not, you realize that God has given us the same Holy Spirit for the same reason, that we might be witnesses to the nation, that we might be part of his plan for redeeming the nations. All the while, he redeems us. He redeems us as teams. And you, you just kind of work down this thing and you realize that he's not going to leave you curled up in a cave. He's not going to leave you alone. Matter of fact, God will give you everything you need to accomplish his will. And I think sometimes we forget that. We get so caught up in our own stuff. And so you can't do anything about when the chariots are coming. You don't know when they're going to pick you up. By the way, wouldn't that be a cool way to go? It would be excellent. It's just like, hey, everybody, next Tuesday... Going to be out front. You want to come watch and wave at the fiery horsies? Yeah. <laughs> Although with, with my career, I don't know that I want to go in fire. Yeah, well. Uh, anyway. Well, we see that God, God desires yeah. to use you. He desires to use you on this road to redemption. He wants to use you to impact nations, and that may be a big thought for you. But God wants to use your life to make an impact in the nations for Jesus Christ. God wants to use you to impact individuals for Jesus Christ. God wants to, to use you in teams and communities in the body of Christ to make a difference and make an impact for Jesus Christ. And, and it's exciting when you get to serve and, and, and experience being called by God into service and ministry to serve him for his glory. It's fun to do what we're doing right now, to have time to open up the scriptures and to do it together with a, a good friend that I've known for a long time. In fact, we, we love partnering together. In fact, on Monday morning. Tomorrow morning, we're starting something new. We're starting yeah. a, a new meeting time and a new meeting location for men's ministry in series at the community center, the series community center tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. And we want to reach some people for Jesus Absolutely. Christ. And we're partnering with the men of our church yeah. to do it. Yeah, it's amazing the way that God brings people together for his purpose. So if you live anywhere in the South County, yeah, six o'clock's early, but you can do it. Yeah. You know, just so you know. But you know what? There are literally hundreds of ways. Are you plugged into a team? Are you part of a, of a team of people that are working for the gospel, working for the kingdom together? 
There are opportunity after opportunity. That's one of our belong goals is that you'll connect in a small community. There are some opportunities coming up right now. Matter of fact, Lonnie Skiles has been working over the past few weeks on getting more leaders, more households that would just stand up and say, we're willing to host a group or we're willing to lead a group. And uh, listen, he's a... I think he's going to be after the service, after the 11 o'clock service. Well, he's sitting right the there right now. I know so he is right there. I right see there. <laughs> but here's the thing. You can get a hold of Lonnie. Yep. You want to be part of a group. You want to lead part of a group. You want to be part of a team. You have that opportunity. You have an opportunity to serve in so many different places. You know what? Don't stay in the cave. Take that calling and use it for the glory of God. Matter of fact, I, I kind of wish this was like a Holy Spirit thing and we could just spread it out over the whole place right now. <laughs> But it'd be mad because it's Rick's and we borrowed it from him. So. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, God desires to use you on the road to redemption. And our encouragement is to accept the calling. Don't stay in the cave. You can't do anything about when the chariots come. Yeah. But accept the calling that God has on your life to serve him. Brother, should we bow in prayer as we I close? I think we should. Father God, Lord, we're, we're humbled uh, to serve you. You are the king and you are God almighty. And we are not. And so we, uh, we accept the call, Lord to come alongside, to worship you, to serve you, to honor you, to be used by you in whatever way that you would so please to do so. And so, God, we, we are willing, and may our willingness increase, and may our faith increase as you continue to work in our lives, Lord. And so, Lord, we love you, and everything we do and we say, God, we pray is, a, is honor uh, and gives glory to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's family said, amen. amen.